Restaurant Unstoppable, episode 527 with Elias Cairo. Being level-headed and being very good to people always naturally in the way you operate, no matter how hard stuff gets, will take you so far. Are you ready for It Factors, success stories, failures, and bombs of restaurant industry knowledge? Then, join Eric Cacciatore and today's incredible guest as they share what it takes to become unstoppable wouldn't it be great if you could play music directly from your spotify account in your own restaurant without worrying about being pinched by the music police well guess what with soundtrack your brand you can unlike spotify premium youtube or apple music soundtrack your brand is licensed for business use and with soundtrackyourbrand.com you can import your favorite music from spotify and share them directly with your guests this deal typically goes for 26.99 but if you act now you can get this deal for $19.99 per month per location for life. Get on it. Again, that's soundtrackyourbrand.com or find the banner in the show notes. You got to check out Wisetail, a premier learning management system. Wisetail is a forward-thinking training and communication platform built to engage today's workforce. Wisetail is trusted because it grew up alongside some of the most recognized restaurants in the industry, this has helped them shape their product and its functionality through real-world feedback and rigorous testing. Wisetail can help you scale your training initiatives across all locations while empowering your employees to take control of their learning and their professional growth. To learn more, head over to www.wisetail.com unstoppable or find the banner in the show notes. And if you use my links, you'll get your first three months free after signing up for a year contract. Again, that's wisetail.com slash unstoppable. With excitement, allow me to introduce to you today's guest, Eli Cairo. Eli, my man, are you feeling unstoppable today? So unstoppable. <laughs> yes, that's what we like to hear. Uh, so hailing from Salt Lake City, Salumis Eli Cairo grew up first generation Greek American with a father who made charcuterie at home. Doing things the old-fashioned way was commonplace. Eli later journeyed to Europe to apprentice in the kitchens of masters. It was there that he rediscovered the art of curing meats. Upon returning to the States, Eli found himself in Oregon after some convincing from his sister and today business partner, Michelle, where he set out to approach the craft of charcuterie with purity and patience, creating a nearly extinct traditional technique that is seldom seen in America. Today, Eli is the founder of Olympia Provisions, Oregon's first USDA-approved Salmaria and six additional restaurants. Man, you're crushing it. Uh, I can't wait to, to dive into your story and to find out uh, more about who you are and what you're all about. Mm-hmm. Let's get that motivational, inspirational ball rolling with mm-hmm. a success quote or mantra. What do you got for us? Oh, man. You know, my sister just gave me a good one a couple weeks ago. Uh, we we're taking on a big project uh and i can't remember the gentleman that said it like I'll, I'll send you an email who it was but it's like the first human being that climbed all the peaks in the fastest amount of time in the world and it's simply either you can or you can't you've yes. already made up your mind yes and I then my second it, one is uh lombardi uh it would have to be uh, fatigue will make cowards of everybody say that again fatigue, fatigue will, make- will make cowards out of anybody all right and so I've, making i've, I've- 
Yeah, I was gonna say I've heard that first one, which is a great one, and uh-huh. I love that quote. So thanks for bringing it to the table. Uh-huh. Dive into that second one. Go deeper. With you know, it resonates with you. if you're a hardworking human being in the restaurant world or in the food world, at some point you're gonna get tired and seem, things seem daunting. Just remember to take pause for yourself. Give yourself a minute to you know reboost and take that day off to go on a jog or throw a kettlebell yeah, or eat vegetables. <laughs> yeah, man, it's so true. And it's something that I've actually been dealing with myself, mm-hmm. like running around the country, trying to get all totally. these guests on the show. Sometimes you got to slow down to speed up. You have to, you got to take that break. You got to regroup, mm-hmm. you know, assess the situation, take it all in, put it together, a strategy and then accelerate again. Absolutely. Um, great way to get this thing started. Thank you. Of course. All right, man. So your story is awesome. Oh, thanks. Uh, I don't know how we're going to fit it all into an hour. Uh, so <laughs> speed talking. I'm going to do a, a, not that much talking today. I'm going to pass it over to you to kind of tell the, the story of the early days leading up to arriving in Oregon. Uh, so kind of where did it all start for you? Start there. Okay. Awesome. Um, well, I was fortunate enough to be born into a restaurant family. Um, my sister and I were born in Salt Lake City to um, a Greek family. My father came from Sparta. Um, he moved to Salt Lake City and he recreated essentially a small Greek operating farm. You know, we raised all of our animals. My father found it very important to produce all the products we enjoy from liquor to candy to anything. My father produced it at home. Of course, we raised all of our own animals. We slaughtered them. We cured all of our own meats. And we also grew a ton of vegetables in which he utilized in his two Greek American restaurants. Which was my one of my questions. How did he manage to... to- basically manage a full working farm and two restaurants like what was that like how did he pull that off you know it's interesting i think he, <laughs> I, I, he, he was a very hard-working man he was also a landlord he played the stock market you know he was just you know we, he, he definitely ingrained it in michelle and i because we do the same things too you know i make all my own wine raise all my own produce i still hunt all my own not all my own meat but a good chunk of all the own meat uh you know if you're really really driven and hard work and you're we definitely are um, annoyed when you're idle. Yeah. <laughs> he had that, you know, he was always busy, always working, always moving, and uh, he just made it happen. I do want to spend most of our time talking about more present day things, but I feel like your dad is somebody that we need to kind of dissect a little bit. Of course. Yeah. So reflecting back at that time, uh-huh. what do you think the key values you, you pull from your dad, not just the core values of mm-hmm. uh, raising food and eating food that's locally sourced, but also his business philosophy and how he ran his businesses. Mm -hmm. Uh, 100% is entitlement. You know, your nothing is going to be handed to you. You have to work for every little thing that you get. Um, Definitely coming as uh, he was a legal alien. If you know, he came here, he had to earn everything that he did. Nothing was ever handed to him. And then to be really thankful for what you have and realizing that if you take too much time, you know, or just take it for granted, that it can go away. You know, you always have to be looking in the forward and realize that you can always be getting better at stuff and you should always be working to achieve yes. things. And he has set that from us and our whole family very easily. You know, anything over simple things that he would create. If we were to be little picky snots about it, he was very, you know, old country, old world about it being like you little snobby little <laughs> shits. Like this is, uh, you know, have any clue how hard I had to work for this? And, yeah. You know, that definitely resonated with me for the rest of my life. You awesome. know, I, you know, I can see it definitely the hard work. What about his, uh, 
how he ran his businesses. Mm-hmm. Uh, how how did he run his businesses? You know, th- I, there is something that I feel very fortunate that I, I've always grown up into. Um, I've always been in what I feel like are very genuine restaurants. You know, my father wasn't ever trying to pull the wool over anybody's eyes. I, you know, when I went through later on in my apprenticeship era, they were always working and loving what they produced. You know, they weren't like the type of guys that were going to, you know, my father wasn't going to take shitty chickens, for example, and like mark it up and to give it the winky wink. You know, he was always like, oh, this is delicious food. Yeah. They're going to love it. This score they are came from garlic in my backyard. And these potatoes are awesome. And it was always about like creating something that was real and genuine. And people are going to enjoy that. Um, that was definitely it. And of course, hard work. You know, I, I keep going back to that. But, you yeah. know, you can remember like us having those days off and my mom being like, hey, we're going on. We're going camping. We're going hunting. Something along those lines. And my dad waking up extra early because he knew it was the one day he can go clean the fryers or the hood or get yeah. the grill brick on and do all those little side projects at the restaurant or his project. He just it just always ingrained in me. Hustle, man. I love Hustle. it. Yeah, it's real. So eventually you, you kind of get the bug mm-hmm. um, and you say to your mom, hey, I think I want to go to culinary school. Mm-hmm. Take it. Is there anything that I'm missing? <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> Gotta take Sorry a, about a tea out of two Anything that you're missing? Uh, you, no, 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 not, not necessarily. Uh, well, I, I dropped out of high school. My, okay. you know, my, 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 my father early on <clears throat> knew that I was super hyperactive, and he knew that like food and farming and getting out in the world and all these things were more my speed my sister on the other hand was a bookworm she stayed inside and studied studied and my dad kind of early on said you know not everybody needs to go the course that's ahead of them you know you could definitely find a passion and make a livelihood doing other things yeah that's so funny my, my dad said the same thing i didn't listen to him i went to aviation school and i spent cool. a ton of money in college and now i'm i'm interviewing restaurateurs so maybe, you're I, should have, maybe I should have listened to my dad mm-hmm. um but, you know, I think there's something to be said there, too. I think a lot of people, we, we are kind of forcing the molds today. Totally. And, like, everybody's set on this track from, like, day yep. one. Like, this is the track that you need to mm-hmm. be on. And that's a lot of BS, man. Um, oh and I think you're a great... How old are you, anyway? I'm curious. Uh, I'm turned 40 this you're year. Start, okay, so, I mean, you've accomplished a lot oh, up to this you. point. And, thank like, you. you're a high school dropout. Dropout. Yeah. yeah. So, <laughs> don't, you know, don't subscribe to... 100%. Yeah. Okay. You know, and that's, like, you know, I, I'm a huge bird dog fan, if you know what I mean. And there's certain dogs and breeds that are meant to do certain things a bloodhound to a bulldog to a every person i think has developed a different breed <laughs> you yeah. know you can just kind of be molded into yeah. what you are and every dog like, has its lane right? totally exactly yeah, so what was the experience of choosing your path from this point where you drop yeah. out of high school and you want to go study to be a totally chef? yeah so i was snowboarding um uh, sponsored by Burton Snowboards, cruising around America. Had a couple years doing that. Got really, really scared doing it. Called my mother and I was like, you know, mom, I really miss the restaurant world, like the kitchen world. I want to become Thomas Keller. I'm going to become the fanciest yeah. chef in America. <laughs> I'm going to go to the CIA in Hyde Park. And my mom is very Greek as well and was like, you know, Eli, we don't have money for that and it's going to be a waste of your money. Uh, if you're going to learn how to cook, why wouldn't you just... I want to meet your parents. <laughs> oh, they're amazing. Yeah, my mother. I'm sure she'll probably be here at nice. any time. She's definitely going to hug you. Uh, 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 she's like, you're going to move back to Greece. You're going to go back to the old country and live in Sparta and learn to roast goats and all these things. And I was like, mom, I've been there plenty. That's not my style. You know, in retrospect, I'd be super stoked to do that. It'd be rad as hell right right now. I said, I wanted to go to France. If that was the case, I was being totally like a picky kid, you know, uh, worst comes to worst. I'll move to Greece. Um, quick, you know, things happened real quickly. My mom reached out to her friends in Chicago 
My aunt in Greece knew somebody that had apprenticeships in the northeast corner of Switzerland. Two weeks later, I get a phone call. They say if I could be there in two weeks, I can work there for six months. Um, and then I, you know, I, this was a time, yeah, totally. <laughs> this was a time uh, before, you know, internet at your fingertips. And yeah. for me, it was uh, different. So I had to go to the library and I had to get the encyclopedia. And I look up this small village called Wildhus, uh, Switzerland. And it says ski resort town, famous for cheese making, northeast corner of Switzerland, very traditional. And I was like, sweet, yeah. sold everything. <laughs> <Right>? <laughs> like, I was just at that time in life, I, you know, didn't have a whole lot going on. Yeah. Uh, sold all of my stuff, sold my Subaru and all my snowboard gear and, you know, just packed up my bag and got on a plane, had one quick phone call with Annegret Schlumpf, my one of mentors. And what did that call go like? It was, I was like, Hey, my name is Eli. I'm American. Do you speak English? And she's like, yes, of course I speak very good English. I am Swiss. And I was like, Oh <laughs> boy, sorry, madame. You know, this is going to be something. And uh, she's like, well, what are you looking to do? And I was like, I just want to come over there and see what the kitchens are like and see what this is going to be like. You know, I'm looking for a little bit of an adventure. I wasn't hundred percent sure it was going to be a chef, but I wanted that adventure yeah. as well. You know, oh, you're 18 at this time. Yep. So yeah, 18. like you just want to come. I just want to do. Yeah. Yeah. yeah sign me up. And, uh, She's like, great, you can be here for six months and we have another apprentice coming on after you. I went there, you know, landed in this little village. It was wintertime. Mind you, I was just snowboarding for my entire life and I happened to be smack dab in the middle of a, a ski resort in this beautiful, beautiful hotel oh gosh, called Alpenrose, you know, in the middle of the Alps. I mean, I can remember at some points in my life looking at snowboarding magazines being like, man, it'd be amazing to snowboard in the Alps. <laughs> and all right. of a sudden, like yeah. 24 hours later, they handed me a snowboard and they were like, yeah, go, 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 go rip for a day. You know, like, go figure like, Damn. it out. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I was just cruising and yeah. I had no clue. Uh, it was really, really an awesome time. And then I came back and the very first day, Mind you, my, in my background, if I mentioned this, my father was a big hunter as well. You know, I walked into this cooler and there was an Ibex, a full Ibex in for all of its horns hanging in the in the cooler. And I was like, oh my God, a wild animal in here too. This is just unbelievable. Go into this kitchen and it's just like the most beautiful, immaculate thing. Everything is so Swiss, so organized and so modern, you know, induction stoves and French tops and all these things I've never seen. And I was in within like 48 hours i was like they're not getting me out of here like this is <laughs> six they're gonna have there, to man. literally gonna pull you know like <laughs> um and then i you know i met uh Berger stump he is the owner of the hotel um he is the uh jägermeister of the valley kind of the boss of the whole thing jägermeister means hunter master kind of like the game warden of uh before we valley. move into that there's mm-hmm. one thing that's kind of i don't know if it's relevant but it's like it's like itching at me to mm-hmm. ask you mm-hmm. uh you said you quit snowboarding we're, i'm going back and this yeah, is like yeah, how great. bad it's itching at perfect me. uh you said that you you got out of snowboarding because you were scared uh, yeah, what yeah. were you afraid of now i like you know i was i was never a really great snowboarder meeting like i was just on like the traveling sponsor team and when the traveling team rolls up what you do is you essentially roll up to a mountain you meet with the other locals and you go try to get like video footage or uh you know Photos at that time were huge. So you're trying to get like the way you ate your livelihood was a little sponsor fee. If you got like a half page, they'd give you some money, et cetera. And so you would just go scare yourself all day. You know, <laughs> you would just go meet up with yeah. the locals and be like, hey, man, this is rad. Like, go throw yourself off this thing. Yeah, because you got to do something big to get the attention. And you got to be like risking your life pushing every, it. Yeah. yeah. And I mean, with these kids now, I can't even imagine like what we were doing compared to now. It's totally different. But it was still, uh, 
very scary. And I was kind of just did that moment. I just ate like a ton of shit. And, and I remember it was in Montana and I looked around and everybody else had ate shit and they were super stoked. And I was super like, this sucks. Like, <laughs> Bring me back. Like I want some fresh baked bread and a good yeah. bowl of soup. And, like, and, and it just wasn't for me. And I, I just kind of realized it's it. good that you trusted your gut though, you know, yeah. and that's kind of why I wanted to go in here because you trusted your gut. Um, you, you, you knew it wasn't right for mm-hmm. you and you got off that path, mm-hmm. um, which is kind of cool. Um, all right, so I derailed you. Bring it, bring it back to the hotel owner, the Siegemeister, yeah. uh, that experience. Yeah, so uh, Bjerger, you know, Bjerger, when I met him, he's the owner of the hotel, the Jägermeister of the Valley. That's like the hunter master of the Valley, which means like he's essentially the game warden of the Valley. You know, he keeps track of all the animals in the Valley, knows all the hunters that are allowed to hunt in the Valley. Um, and he is just an amazing human being. You know, speaks six languages, master chef, master butcher, hell of a baker, could build you anything, just like one of those amazing men. And also a very great family man. His family was very important to him. Um, and then I was working for a woman named Annegret Schlumpf, which was the first Econosis diplomated cooking chef as a female in the history of Switzerland. And she was just this amazing Swiss woman that could just make anything, you know, from pastries to delicious braised meats to consommes to fancy food to all sorts of stuff and i just knew i wasn't going to leave that valley yeah, like man. i was like man this is such an opportunity you're painting such a, an incredible picture it was really lucky and and i mean I, I i think i'm trying to paint a great picture and i wouldn't do it justice like the idea of honestly i was huge into climbing and spent a lot of time in the backcountry whenever i could too and there was so much climbing and ice climbing and backcountry exploring and all this plus i was sitting and able to learn a trade and and I instantly noticed that. I noticed it's it's it was a they were very proud of a work ethic there. You instantly could tell. Like every one of the kids, I mean, I was my apprenticeship, I was eighteen. The kids that are starting were fifteen and sixteen years old and they were there to work. They work really, really hard and like put their head down and learn how to slice, dice, clean, scrub, organize everything. And they were super proud. And I thought that was a great mentality, yeah, which I man. didn't really see in America at that age. That's exactly what I'm thinking too. Yeah. Like, why don't we have this sense of pride of our work? Where do you think that went? What's our what's our deal? You know, I, I just don't know. You know, Switzerland is a very different place. You know, it's very strange. You know, it's a very strict, beautiful country, but they're very, very hard on people. You know, they want people to work very rigid and, you know, um, formulated. I'm not saying it's better. So I'm just you, saying yeah. it's, it's, it's a definite new, you know, it's definitely new th- thought for me at that time in my life so how'd you carry your weight uh, beside all these people that have this extreme work ethic great question you know uh instantly they called me a lazy american which was (laughs) which was you know fuel to my fire i wanted to prove them wrong um they said it's really really hard to learn that language so i spent a lot of time doing everything i could to say if you spoke english please only speak to me in swiss german i really put forth every effort of that and i also realized that all my neighbors were these amazing cheesemakers and there was a slaughterhouse down in the village uh and whenever i had time off like i would go you know instantly over to my neighbor's farm and be like, Hey man, can I rotate your cheese? Can I scrub out your stalls? The slaughterhouse, you know, I talked to Bjerger and them and I'm like, Hey, this veal's getting killed on whatever day it is. I'm going to go down and scrub it after he kills it, watch him kill the thing and then just clean it up. And just in that six month, I want him to know that I was like a sponge and I was, Yeah, you know, in retrospect, it was like, it just hit that stride. And I got to slam on the brakes with two feet real quick uh because the ability that you have uh, to just go deeper, right? And to ask for more into like what you're saying mm-hmm. when, you know, don't speak to me in English and going down to these places and asking to like rotate the cheese mm-hmm. and taking that initiative to, to, to be a sponge. I don't think 
we do that enough in our industry. We wait for opportunities to come to us yeah. and you got to create your opportunities. You got to go out there and you got to, you know, trigger something. You got to yep. stir things up. You got to mm-hmm. make things happen for yourself. Yep. Um, I just wanted to put that emphasis on what oh, you're doing. So. Yeah, no, I, I, I definitely agree. It's, it, and, it, and it's harder as you get older and yeah. <laughs> you know, it's harder to really take those crazy risks. But whenever you do get an opportunity still to this time, it's like, it's worth it. You know, try yeah. your hardest to seize it whenever you can strike when the iron's hot, you know what I yeah. mean? And keep, keep digging. Yeah, um, man. Keep going. Yeah. Well, keep going. Uh, yeah. And so, you know, after the six months we're up, I went to Bjerger and, uh, I had a quick question being like, you know, my visa's up. Uh, <laughs> looks like I got to go back to America. I don't want to go back to America. I want to work hard for you. Is there any way I could stay? And he just turned around and walked away. And I was like, Ooh, I think I got a job a year and a half later. I went to Anagrid. I'd really spent a lot of time working on the language Wait, before you go to a year and a half later. Uh-huh. Um, you said that when you got there, you, uh, you're, you're instantly, instantly the lazy American kid. Who mm-hmm. were you six months later? What was your reputation? I was, you're, you're, I mean, I was, you were still just, uh, I hate to say it, but you're still just an American and I am, you know what I mean? Like it, I never turned, yeah. the, you know, they're, you know, the Swiss are fantastic people. I don't, I don't mean to offend anybody out there listening to this that is Swiss. You guys are amazing and you guys will understand this. If you are Swiss, you have an amazing worth ethic yeah. and you guys are very proud and you should be very patriotic people for what you have there. Uh, but I was always throughout this entire time, there's always this just hanging over your head that you were an American at the time Bush was president too. And that didn't help anything. Yeah. And you know, they, I would hate to go to right now. Switch on. <laughs> yeah, oh, I'll let somebody or Yeah. Yeah. You just have to have the right clothing. Just yeah. like a big F Trump shirt. The yeah, whole time. Right. <laughs> <laughs> um, all right. So a year and a half later, um, year and a half later, I asked Anna Gred, uh, if there's any way I, that she thinks I can go to school. I was studying with the apprentice, with the apprentice, you know, they were coming and doing homework. I was using it as a tool to learn how to write German and, uh, ask if I could actually start taking courses. Um, uh, she kind of said no initially. It's pretty risky with it doing what she, you know what it is. But she was very involved in the school system there. She asked a few friends and they're like, sure, let him come down and he could start just the cooking apprenticeship. Uh, got into that and I just absolutely loved it. You know, like it was really, it's just a great time. So I would work five days a week, take German school on one day off, at least for a couple hours during the day. And then on my other day off, I would go and take formal school. So I still had to hold my job of, you know, you were in Switzerland too. And most European culture, the, the, the way you work, your work week is called what they call Siemerstund. Uh, uh, you, you wake up in the morning, you all eat breakfast together. You start at around seven o'clock in the morning, you work till around noon then they give you a three to four hour break and then you come back and you work uh late lunch into dinner service go to bed at around midnight and it just starts back over oh. so there's no free time you're just literally head town grinding you know three hours in the middle of the day which is great if you're in the middle of the ski resort because you get a you get a break you know you're, yeah. you're sitting your busting your ass all day learning all these things at least you can go hop on it i'd be taking a nap <laughs> a lot of that you know a lot of a lot of maybe in my early 20s i might be out on the slopes you would right you, now, yeah oh, you know you were like, like jesus oh, christ and you know, drinking was uh, okay to happen. You know, <laughs> yeah. at lunch. So you, yeah. you know, what's the worst? You're gonna go sit in your room, yeah, or you're gonna go take your snowboard to the top. Yeah, of the especially mountain. after a few drinks, I was pound I'd of definitely beer. be taking a nap <laughs> now. Yeah, <laughs> kidding me? I just said the word drink. I'm gonna go take a nap. <laughs> so eventually, I mean, I don't want to cut the story short. Totally. But eventually, you, you come back 
to Oregon. Is there anything else that's worth bringing to the surface before we... No. Well, let's see. At the end of it, you know, uh, during this time, actually... Uh, one of the more key things that really actually led me into the meat thing, as we were saying, Birger would process all these wild animals in our kitchen. Uh, I had an incident where I slipped on some floors. Somebody threw a snowball and I landed both hands down on a French top. Um, and what I is br- a French top? A French top is a big cast iron heated pan. Uh, okay. You know, like you, you pl- in European kitchens, you saute off of them. You reduce stocks. You know, you, you do okay. all sorts of things. It's a big giant cast iron heat. Apparatus. I never knew that. I know exactly what you're talking about. I never knew that was the uh, name. French yeah, name. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Uh, landed. I caught myself on it. Burnt the living hell out of my hands. Uh, and I come back to work the next day, and I'm like, "Oh my god, I can't work. Please, you know, like they're gonna send me back, or they're gonna give me time off. What am I gonna do?" And they took marmot fat, like the little furry mountain animals, and they slathered my hands in marmot fat, and they put rubber gloves on them and taped them, and they're like, "We're really busy right now, and it's harvest. It's fall season." Get you're in there. the butcher shop like just go cut up animals like we need you to be deboning animals and during that month and a half i really got as fast as i possibly mm. could had a bunch of butchering experience but i really really just the guys i was working with bjerger and everybody cutting up these animals and learning that they were so good at it and it was also a different stress right like that kitchen stress of getting your miso plus ready and making sure your service and the food and everything and all these moving parts i kind of really enjoyed the process of taking apart these animals being very efficient, organized, and utilizing everything to make these amazing cured treats that I was just like, this is my spot. And as soon as uh, I did that month, I was like, oh my God, do you guys have more friends that are doing this? And then they started you know, sending me out to Graubunden and uh, Valis and uh, Sutrol and all these places to do other sh- apprentice, not apprentice, work in other butcher shops and other charcuterie shops. And after that, it was just hooked into sausage making and curing meats and I mean, whatnot. You might have just been the, the American kid, but at the same time, they must have liked you because they're oh, yeah. willing to to connect you with all these people. Totally. So they were proud at that point. Yeah. You know, at, 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 you know, some point the work ethic was noticeable. You know, yeah. like I was willing to go the extra mile for sure. But so was everybody else. You know, yeah. Like, and again, like ask for it. Like totally. people aren't going to be like, oh, you should go talk to this person. Like get that fire Absolutely. in your belly, and, and you know, mm-hmm. be the catalyst, the, the thing that that triggers totally uh, the event of you going out to all these other people. You, you got to work for it. You got to sure. ask for it. Yeah, and he, you know, and that was a thing. I heard opportunity. People were doing these things. Like the young. 16 year old apprentice was like oh my god i went down to hair uh feeler's house and we slaughtered a veal yesterday it was crazy and i was like oh man i'm coming next time for sure like you know it was just like anytime i heard anybody was doing anything i'm like i want to be part of that like please take me there yeah i want to see this and so it just happened the other thing that i'm sure wasn't going on in your mind at this Mm -hmm. time but that's super valuable that i'm sure you realize today is the power of having a good story uh, in your business, mm-hmm. in your brand, mm-hmm. like who you are, what I did, where <clears throat> I went, who I learned totally. from. All that is your brand. All that is who you are. You're in, when you're trying to grow your business and people are investing in you and you're trying mm-hmm. to really develop that brand, like all this stuff, like go out there and live. Don't ex- expect totally. people to hand you opportunities. 100%. Like, be a person of value. Go become valuable. You great, know? Get a great story behind you. That is a great so word powerful. of advice. Yeah, I know. And, and we get that all the time. People are like, well, it's a great story. You guys have a great story, and I'm always like, "Well, it's the story." We didn't, like, yeah, it's not like we didn't like create it. this. My yeah. sister and I, and you know, all these things. There's no smoke and mirrors to what we so do real, here. Yeah, real quick, if you're listening to this and you're just like, oh, "I'm so freaking lame," no, like you know, like maybe, but at the same time, like you write your story. Yeah, right true. now, 
go write your story. Go mm-hmm. do something to be a person of interest. Mm-hmm. And everybody can do that. Go sell your car. Do whatever it takes. Mm-hmm. Go be a person of interest. Totally. Awesome cool. stuff. So let's bring it back to Portland. the U.S. Yeah, <laughs> yeah okay. Um, unless I don't want to leave anything. I mean, no, we no. only have an, like an hour. Totally. Time, and that was we're probably, actually doing pretty good. Man. Okay, good, good. We're at less than a half hour. and we and, um, That's a like everything big part that you, of my life. Yeah, so that's it. <laughs> everything you dropped on us uh, is, no. is super valuable. Good. Great advice. Awesome. So you come back to Portland or actually you come back to Salt Lake, right? No. Uh, so I finished my apprenticeship and I was gonna. I moved to Greece quickly. I ran an island on a Greek or a little kitchen on a Greek island. Uh, you ran an island or a kitchen on kitchen a Greek on island? a Greek okay. island. I ran an island in that's my not village. A big part of my yeah. life, but uh, you know, just like like inside of a hotel, there was like a small satellite kitchen I was able to do. You know, blah blah blah. And then not not loving it at the time, I was dating a Swiss gal and uh, <clears throat> moved back to Switzerland. And I was pretty convinced I was going to live up in Graubünden and. Uh, just cure meat and live up there and figure it out the Swiss way. At this time, Michelle moved to Portland, Oregon. She called me with the family. She's like, you know, Michelle's my sister. sister. Yeah. Michelle Cairo. And, uh, she's like, you're really, really going to enjoy Portland. You should come check this out. Like there's amazing wine here. And it's not like we had no wine. She's like, there's this beer brewers or a gigantic thing. Coffee roasters, chocolate makers, there's cheese makers everywhere. And I gave her like the big eye roll. Like, please, I'm in Switzerland. Girl, I'm yeah. You know what you're talking about? You know what you're sacking up against right now? (laughs) Anyways, like she pays for me to get a ticket here. I was flat broke and, uh, pays for me to get a ticket here. And she takes me right to the Portland farmer's market. And it was, you know, we were walking around the market down there and I don't know if you've ever been, anybody's out there been to the Portland farmer's market. I have to go. It's unbelievable. And it's still, I mean, it's still, it's just an amazing farmer's market. There's so many amazing products and the produce and, you know, the smoked salmon from the Indians and, uh, you know, organic mosh. A lot of the produce that I was seeing, you know, even crazy heirloom tomatoes weren't that big in Europe at that time. You know, they were still just making perfect tomatoes and there was just wild mushrooms and it was just a, a beautiful thing. And, you know, I had rogue blue cheese. Um, and I was like, holy hellfire. Like, that, th- this is amazing. Anyways, I mentioned at this time that we should get a stick of salami. And my sister said uh, quickly, like, I don't know if anybody's making salami. And I was like, Michelle Caro, I've been making salami for like the last <laughs> four and a half years. Like, well, this is something that I, I think would really, really work here. Just like, think about it. I'm like, what about pate? She's like, you know, I don't know if pate is a big thing here and sausages. And I was like, crazy. And this is going me. back 2005. This is, yeah, even a little bit earlier. Yeah, 2004, 2005. Yeah. Right so, in there and that's right around the time just before the smartphone comes out, which is really where like there is a parallel there. Totally. That like information is being shared like crazy. Yeah. Like people are taking pictures of everything. Everything. Doing, it's and so now true. Everyone's like, oh, like that's the new standard, I guess. Yep. Oh, now that's the new standard. <laughs> the break so that's where things started. Right like, yeah, <laughs> yeah. Like, you know, like everyone started doing the cured meats, the charcuterie mm-hmm. right around that time. So, so it was just before the wave. Totally before. The, and when I came back, I recognized that wave. Yeah. You know, uh, Salumi had opened up in Seattle from Mani down there and i was eating these finally really delicious salamis with live active molds and maybe they weren't the style that i was going to want to produce but i was like i had this again maybe this crazy urgency in me being like oh i gotta open up my company like it's it's about ready yeah, to, gotta, to blow the up waves coming it's, it's coming i would like to be at yeah. the forefront of this wave i just yeah. spent a big chunk of my life learning this and i feel like i could i could be it um yeah and so i can't I, I finally moved back and michelle you know i asked her for money and she was like, no, you got to get a job first. And so I went to a restaurant here in Portland called Castagna, uh, Monique Sue. It's on Hawthorne. It's an amazing restaurant. Um, and I just took a line cooking job there. Uh, 
And then I quickly worked myself up to the sous chef job. And uh, within a year, I became the executive chef of Castagna. But I told Monique at that time, you know, my main goal is to come back and make a meat company. So I was working with the USDA at night. You know, on my weekends, I would be like, emailing and trying to figure out what the the cfr the code for food regulator federal regulations are for what it would take to make this and then i finally sent that scary email to the head of the usda in oregon telling them what i wanted to do (laughs) yeah you know i think it was really good advice from your sister to like yeah you're excited about this but it's gonna be a project you know (laughs) you gotta get out there you gotta do the research totally and you also gotta be willing like to to not have a life for a while. Oh yeah. You know, you're working during the day, you're getting the cash flow, Mm -hmm. and you're at night learning and going double time. And and that's just to get the business going. Exactly. (laughs) Yeah. But most, most people aren't willing to go that hard. But I think one of the key variables in your story is the fact that you were so passionate about, about salami. Mm -hmm. So for you, it's your it's your downtime, but you're doing your passion. So you're working on your downtime, but it's for you. It's like, you know, you're just you're just feeding that curiosity. That like, entrepreneurial what's it spirit is yeah. something that's hard to kill. Exactly, and it's just so important to find whatever that thing is. Yeah. And that you know, to, again, to make an example of you, get out there and just consume experiences mm-hmm. until you find that thing that just you know it clicks totally like for you it was working breaking down animals so you're like this is my jam yeah this is this yeah, is my like, happy place i love working with me and you're never gonna find it unless you get out there and you just try a little bit of everything and yeah. and just live you yeah, know exactly. um and just get it and once you you know it's if it, it doesn't always happen to some people you know like you know some people but it definitely don't won't find, happen if you don't, don't get try out there. no 100 percent. get <laughs> yeah. out there 100 percent. get out there and once it hits just realize that it's it's people will tell you and i will tell you right now it's going to be a lot of hard work but it's going to be more work than you imagine people used to tell it to me that it was it's super duper hard work but if you're absolutely love what you do uh it doesn't seem like work you know the the zeit is all nick throm and that's a swiss saying that they ingrain in it's actually written across the dining room in Switzerland. How do you translate that? Uh, uh, the, the, the purpose is why, not because. Let me think if that's true. Oh, my God. I'm so happy you're yeah. saying that. Because like, I'm like, I'm just going to share a quote while he's thinking of that. Yeah. And the quote that I was thinking of is, you can live with any how if you have the right why. Exactly. And very, that, very similar. Yeah. <laughs> and it's just like, it, as long as you have that right thing driving you, the, mm-hmm. right, the right thing, like the, the purpose in life or your, your lane, it doesn't matter. Like I'm living in my car right now because totally. like, you know what I mean? Because yes. I'm doing exactly what I want. And like, I'm just happy that I get to do what I want. Exactly. And it, and it could be a lot worse. You know? Yeah. Yeah. So anyways, anyways. <laughs> we <Yeah>. digress. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So, uh, man, where are we? Um, yeah, I'm back here. Castagna, uh, being the executive stuff finally opened up or, uh, so then 2009, um, excuse me, 2008, I finally convinced Michelle. Michelle at this point has um, her master's degree in business is running finance. That's my sister one more time um, for the power company. And then she's the CFO for Opus Solutions, which is a national oh, company. Man, that's a good sister to have. Great sister. <laughs> Hell yes. And, you know, we're t- very, very tight. Two years apart and just like, you know, inseparable. Uh, and... Uh, uh, she's like, okay, great. This sounds good. And I'm still just dwelling. Like, look at this. Nobody's doing it. There's this company up there. They're probably killing it. Go on. Like, please. She's like, just simply write me a business plan. And I was like, a what? Yeah. You know? And she's like, just a business plan. Show me that what this works. And you know, she forced me to do all these things. And I finally convinced her to give me, you know, thirty thousand dollars. And at this time, Nate Tilden, uh, my business partner. 
here. Uh, he's the owner of the Clyde Commons here in Portland, and I think eleven other restaurants. I'm going after him, by the way. Oh yeah, you should. Oh, let me enter. He's <laughs> he is uh, such an inspiration, and everybody should know this gentleman. He is just an amazing man, and still like a, one of my bigger idols. Um, he reached out to me, and he's like, "Hey, let's meet for a beer." And uh, is like, "Hey, I, I'm opening up a restaurant." And it's going to be charcuterie focused. And I know, and and, and and he's like, I know that this has always been your passion. And he's like, I don't want to step on your toes. Uh, what do you think? And I was like, dude, I'm opening up a USDA meat plant. This is my focus. And there is a big part of me that has spent this much time in restaurants and running them being like, I don't know if I can actually get out of the restaurant world. Like, I, I just kind of want to have one foot in the restaurant world. And he's like, you know, there's a small 900 square foot space next to this restaurant in the inner southeast portland that you could probably open up a plant do you want to come look at it and like i walked in and it was just a bare concrete brick room and we were like well sure <laughs> you know let's let's open up a that's not the space we're in now you negative this is this yeah. is this is later <laughs> yeah 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 this is right down the road you should definitely go down there afterwards i was there earlier across the street is the uh, steve's, uh steve's cc yeah, yeah. Yeah, I'm another guest coming on the show. I already awesome. locked down. So, yeah, things are happening. <laughs> it's moving. Yeah, um, yeah, and then so 2009 finally lined up everything with the USDA and I had all my you know uh, food safety stuff, HACCP plans, and all those great nice. things in place. I kind of want to go back a little bit because you, I think you mentioned something. You were mm-hmm. talking about um, uh, I'm having a brain fart. Business partner Nate Tilden. Nate. Yeah. Um, thank you. And. One thing I've noticed that the most successful restaurateurs out there, they're just creating opportunities for other people. Totally. They recognize somebody who has an amazing skill or interest mm-hmm. or whatever, and they go, wow, that guy's got it, or mm-hmm. that girl's got it, and I've got this idea, mm-hmm. and I can't do it alone, and I might just approach this person and create an opportunity totally. for that. Want to reflect on that? Nate, yeah, Nate Tilden is a talent magnet. Yeah. You know, he is, and, it, and it's always... Because he's such a great guy, yeah. I think he's very honest and has just done it the right yeah. way. And he himself is one of the most talented human beings I've ever met in my entire life. And the story you know? is about you, but, but at the same time, <laughs> like, yeah, like, what is it and reflecting at me? Because I'm going to talk to him, so this is good data for and me. And you should also interview my sister because yes, she's, and a, a she's finance on my hit list. mind, yes. you know, behind oh my God, that I'm makes all of these. Right now. Yeah. I love it. Uh, so, what is it about Nate? Really reflect about Nate. Um, because you, you just you have all this admiration for him. Mm-hmm. Break down that admiration. Exactly what what are these val- like these? Mm-hmm. So uh, when I when I break when I break Nate Tilden down, I do I do not know of another person that is physically a better builder. Do you know what I mean? And has that never ending like he's not afraid to do anything, no matter how much work it is. You know, he we build everything here. Like we do all the welding, all the woodwork, all of the plumbing framework anything you can imagine he pulls his own permits he physically does all of that and he also owns 12 restaurants right now um and so he leads by example better than any restaurant tour i've ever met in my entire life yeah he is definitely going to be if there's a problem down at a food cart that he's part of and it's the septic tank is fall off. He'll be the first person down there dressed in head to toe, dirty work shirts. And he'll be building a bracket with his toe along welder and sticking it up there. And, you know, if he needs you to cover a shift at the Clyde's Commons, one of Portland's big, busiest uh, bars, he'll step right behind the bar and make you the greatest, you know, barrel aged Negroni. <laughs> yeah. If he is, you know, if one of his cooks is out at his live fire joint, Bar Casa Valle, you bet your ass on a Sunday he's going to run down there and start the fire and cook everybody the best food and do it great 
and yeah. be like, oh man, this is so fun. Look how lucky we are. We get to cook food and make this and people keep coming with opportunities. And he's, he is, um, very, very, oh gosh, what's the word? It's like addictive almost like whatever his personality is, his mood, you can see him walk into a room of people and just like very graciously just turn Infectious. the notch. Infectious, yeah. exactly. And, and it's the energy, your energy, whatever you project, totally. you're going to influence the people you're around, and whether you're in a bad mood or a good mood totally. or, you know, you got to be mindful of that energy you're, you're bringing into every situation. Absolutely. A hundred percent. Listening to you talk, man, I can't help. I can't help but think of there's a little bit of like the outliers effect going on here. Mm-hmm. Uh, have you have you are you familiar with? Um, Please tell. So outliers is a book written by his name is Malcolm Gladwell, mm-hmm. and it's this theory of like what why are some some people super successful? Mm-hmm. Like what things happened that you know uh, that caused them to be super like all the variables that come into play. Mm-hmm. And if, there's a lot of variables that I think are kind of people that are familiar with that book who are listening to this like might be thinking the same thing things kind of just happen to like work out for you in the sense that you come here and like oh your sister has all these skills and like that's good and you come from a family that's been mm-hmm. hunting and breaking down and you, you have family in Greece and yeah. uh, like not that that really plays into it but it you know what I'm saying there's <laughs> sure. little yeah, yeah. things right mm-hmm. but at the same time you're also a hustler and you're creating these opportunities so sure. I don't think that's in- entirely the the situation here right but I should yeah I it definitely took a team to form this like I guess I get you're the first you know you reached out to me to about Olympia provisions and there's no doubt I am the face and I've always been the builder of Olympia provisions but there is it army of hard week working yeah. people and talented people that surround me but that's not even where i was going with this. That, that's part of it yes that you have this army of people around you mm-hmm. but at the same time you went out right and you became a person of value mm-hmm. you had this unique selling proposition this this skill mm-hmm. of you're you're a saloonist you know and there's not many people out here while okay that market's taking off sure you became a person of value and nate looked at you and said I would be stupid if I didn't go to business with this guy because like this is where the market's going and he's one of the best around. Yeah. So like you attract onto yourself. If you become a person of value, yeah, you know, you attract on like, sure. Yeah. So the, the, these opportunities, mm-hmm. although they seem random, mm-hmm. you know, aren't necessarily. Yeah, totally. I just wanted to put more emphasis yeah, on that. And there and there's another thing that should always hit on that too, is you know, a lot of that does have to do with relationships. You know what I mean? And um being level headed and being very good to people always naturally in the way you operate, no matter how hard stuff gets, will take you so far. Mm. You know, never losing your cool at a vendor. Uh, as as bad as they are, unless they really, really deserve it. Making sure that you're never talking down to an employee. Making sure all of your bosses burning bridges is a real thing. You know, when I think of Nate Tilden, I think of myself, my Michelle I mean, that people may hate us for some whatever reason, but I can't think of them. envy. Or maybe, yeah. maybe, maybe, sure. Uh, but you know, but we've always trapped people with absolute respect, and we demand that of our employees now. You know, yeah. we've always have the saying uh, here: if you're if you're ever if your temper ever rises and you're getting mad, it's not you're just not good at your job. You're not good at your job. You know, you need to be able to take a pause and realize how small it is. And there's no need ever, as far as I'm concerned, to ever get mad mm-hmm. <laughs> and and ruin those things. Keep positive. Keep happy. Be fortunate of what you get to do. It's gonna You're going to go to a very dark place if you're becoming an entrepreneur at some <laughs> point. You know, you're going to have serious hard things, but getting in a pissy place will take you in a bad place. Awesome. And again, to double back to that, if you're able to do this for a long period of time in a certain field, especially as small as Portland, people hear about you 
you and they will be more willing to invest in you when you go and you're looking for a restaurant space or getting funding and all these things if you're a good human being you betcha this a lot, is, if a lot of people are eye rolling and being like, oh, dude, that guy's a hothead. Woo woo. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> this, guy, this, this guy, man, he told my plumber to go F himself. <laughs> I hate to say it. Like, it's, you project this, you know, intensity of positivity yeah. and you, you know, you do what you can and you're honest and you're a genuine human being. That will get you further. Oh, man. I That's love it. Personally, my approach. <laughs> yeah. We've been talking a lot about like business philosophy mm-hmm. and like we've been really aerial, uh, <laughs> kind of just like painting the picture of how you got to where you are, which is there's a ton of value there. Uh-huh. Um, now we're talking about you, you're, you, you've attracted onto yourself mm-hmm. all these business partners. Um, reflecting back at you know becoming a restaurant or you have six locations now. You have a mm-hmm. meat processing plant. Mm-hmm. How did you scale it? Like, Where did you start? What, what, what were the early days looking like? What, <laughs> what did your day look like when you sure. said, hey, I'm going to – we were missing so much too. Like so you, much, yeah. Yeah, you uh, – you know, you, you started working at this restaurant. You started as a line cook. You became yeah. the exec- executive chef. You were yeah. there for four years. Uh, yep. yep. Four years. In one know. place. Yeah. And then that's when Nate approached you and you became. We met, you know, he was old, he was the first guy I staged under was Nate. You know, okay. He was the fry guy and I was the <laughs> pizza guy at this okay. little restaurant. Yeah. So um, working with side by side with him, yeah. um, take it from where you will kind of transition away from the executive chef role to now you're an owner. Take us to that point. Maybe give some nuggets on business advice and scaling and growing. Totally. Um, Love to. Well, to put it in perspective, I always find this very important. I like to give it a a recap. 2009, I was a 900 square foot employee. I was a one man employee. I was doing all the USDA work myself, all the HACCP stuff, butchering, grinding, scrubbing, Working and my business partners, Nate, Tyler, um, were, ma- were running the restaurant. We were just open like four or five days and we had very small goals. We weren't expecting to be uh, who we are. Um, now, just to give it a recap before I give these nuggets to kind of see what it's done. As he was saying, six uh, restaurants, uh, food cart. We do 17 farmers markets a, re- a week. I export my product to Japan and Canada and I'm sold in every product or every stay in America pretty much. Wow. And we're trying to vertically integrate, hopefully opening up our own farms this year and our own slaughterhouse within the next two years as well. Um, so to put that into perspective, where I came from that one man employee to where Olympia provisions is right now, um, a, a lot of luck and hard work, of course, but also I, I don't am, believe in luck. Yeah. You can create, you can, <laughs> you can kind yeah. of create your own yeah. luck. And, uh, that is a true thing. Uh, I have to say the biggest thing that has grown us to this point is having amazing employees and the talent that has worked with me. You know, Josh Graves, Paul Opliger, I hope you're listening to this. They're still here working with me to this day, and they were the first people to ever come on board for this company. They're great butchers and amazing meat makers, and that's what they came on. I didn't have money to employ them at that, so we gave them, you know, we welded racks together, and we gave them brunch cooking shifts until I finally got enough money in my meat plant to bring on an employee. And Jessica Rose Harris, Alex Yoder, uh, Mandy, there's and my sister, of course, all these people that have been with us for these nine years, they believe in the cause. They and I've never let them down. You know, mm. I've said I'm gonna do they it. They believe in the cause. Yeah, the, what is the cause? The cause for Olympia Provisions is to, you know, <clears throat> do exactly what we intended to do, be America's finest charcuterie company. You know, I can say right now that we are striving with never ever compromising on quality. You know, if there's one right way to do it, we're going to do it that way and we're going to charge accordingly. I'm yeah. never going to, uh, you know, in the meat industry, it's very, very commonplace to, uh, um, co-pack a product, meaning like somebody might make salami, 
but they're not going to make their cooked products. They're not going to do this. For me, the whole goal is to quality first and be what you exactly you are and, you know, treat them well and make sure as we grow, they're growing with them, giving them opportunities to learn and also build a life behind it. Yes, and, dude, I love what you're giving this. And like, that's, that's all, all things. And that's, that, that's how it is. I mean, it, there's been certain times, a hundred percent in our business where we could have taken profit checks out, oh, true, true story, and paid and done certain things where we've doubled down on Josh, Paul, and the rest of those team. You know, those guys are the 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 greatest cogs in the whole plant. You know, I want to make sure you, you I heard that right. You you thought about taking what out distributions? You know, like profit checks. Okay. or you know, paying. So we're yourself. doing really good right we're now. We're doing great. Hey, man, yeah, like I'm gonna like, give myself a little extra. Give it. Let's do it. You know, like let's just here's your here's your four thousand dollars. Instead of giving yourself more, you decided to take that extra and you spread it out amongst your people. Yeah. How much extra did they get? Oh, actually, that's probably not safe or fair to. <laughs> yeah. No. It, it. You know. We, Percentages. We. You know. We have a long. We're very very transparent, and this happened to us. This. Uh, last year two years where we've as a company became very open books with everybody I oh and i God, think that you're giving me so much i want to go into that now totally i mean i mean and, i almost and, want to ask you to stop talking because there's only so much time and it's like uh, totally okay. and you can't tell me to stop talking i no, ramble like I'm keep bugged. going man i'm like but you know, and 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 to put, and I think as a restaurant owner, when you're looking at that, and you're and you're employing chefs and restaurant managers, things there's something really uh, good about that. If people are serious about their profession and they're getting into this restaurant world, show them how hard it is to make money. Don't just say it's only food costs. Talk to them about overhead. Talk to them about what capital is to get new machines and how and how that is, and to have them you know set them goals where if you hit this and we achieve this and we do these things as a team and we get creative as we want. This, this is what it means. This is what it is. This hey, is we're happen. a we're a profitable restaurant. <laughs> yeah. Like we've made money. You know, yeah. like that's such a goal. You know, it's it's eye opening to know the percentages of restaurants that are actually profitable out yeah. there as opposed to just hemorrhaging money and going out of business. And we're one of those. Not only. Are we delicious and amazing and nationally received and doing things, but we're actually a functioning business. We're paying people above, you know, average and people could stay with us for nine, 10 years and buy houses and build families and paint this whole picture um, for them. And that's a little bit of advice to keep people around. I'm loving this conversation. (laughs) And there's two things I want to go deeper on. Of course. Um, The first thing you've been putting a lot of emphasis on uh, the employee and hiring the right employee and taking care of the right employee Mm -hmm. once you get them. But going way back to when you started hiring employees, what was it about what you were doing that attracted onto yourself these incredible people? That's a great question. You know, I, you know, why would they, well, I know Josh and Paul, Josh ran Fleischer's in New York City as their head butcher. Um, he was like getting that whole butcher program off ground, and he heard that there was a sausage maker out here, and him and his wife just got in a U-Haul and moved out here and called and just came out because he had yeah. heard about Olympia Provisions. Um, you know, I think it does have a lot to do. We've been fortunate enough to win a lot of quality awards. You know, the Good Food Awards were the nation's leader in these things. We've been celebrated. Um multiple times and and I think people do enjoy working for a place that is quality focused. Yeah. Well, not only that quality focus, but if you're going to go to work for somebody for a specific reason mm-hmm. to learn how to do a specific thing, yeah. you might as go you might as well go work for the best, right? I you're hope gonna, so. Yeah. Sure. You know what I'm saying? So I, th- I think that's kind of what I was my hunch was. Yeah. You know, you said we couldn't have done it without our people, but you were also you went and you you created your own market because there wasn't a market for I mean there was a market for salami, mm-hmm. but not the way you were doing it. Totally. And right? it's the I whole restaurant world too. And exactly. it's like, you know, there, we have a unique beast with us and, you know, we, 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 we really put a lot of 
emphasis, like our core values. One of them is to enrich the you know, other employees in your environment, yeah. your culture's life. You know, we do not, we do not um, at all support any manager ever yelling or talking down to people. And if it does happen, fortunately, we're to the point now that we have HR that they can actually go talk to these managers and be like, you know, that's just not in our culture. We mm. do not get upset. We do not talk down to people. We, yeah. we make sure that it's a positive supporting environment. And it's every day you got to do that as a manager. Your job not only is to hit numbers and keep things clean and do all these things and make amazing food. You have to be a leader. As you said, it's infectious. You, know, yeah. you have to be that positive guy. You might be hungover. I support that. I'm a big wine drinker myself. <laughs> Coming in that morning and be like, Phew, I drank lives. that extra big bottle of Gamay yesterday. And today we're going to have fun it. cooking it, you know, <laughs> cooking it out, you know? Yeah. Um, so one other, the other thing I want to go into, uh, it was quick. You said charge what it's worth. I think that's something that gets a lot of people mm-hmm. in trouble. My dad, um, yep. owned a restaurant mm-hmm. um, with a lot of similarities of our, our, our stories and his, I think what, one of the things that really hurt him is he was worried about the location. So he, basically gave food away Mm -hmm. to bring people in and it was a great product, Mm -hmm. you know, and why do you have to charge for what it's worth? Yeah, I mean, if it if it doesn't make sense, it doesn't make sense. You know, yep. what I mean, it's yep. it, it, you, you have to kind of look at it and be completely brutally honest to yourself. We say these all all the time. Like, it's anybody can create the most beautiful plate of food in the entire world, but if you're doing it for nothing, that's just depressing. Like, yeah. the, the person winning is the customer, and it's not a sustainable full service. There's nothing place. wrong with the customer winning, but you need to create win win situations. Totally, where like they both should teams are winning. Hundred <laughs> percent, they should be coming and getting something amazing, but you should be charging accordingly, and they should recognize that yeah you know you don't need the 45 percent margin on every single dish you put out find that sweet spot of where you can find how a do you find where, that sweet spot well in the meat plant or in our restaurants let's go with the restaurants because i think that's where most of the totally people in the in the in the restaurants it has a lot to do with access to getting their numbers you know and, and a lot of people say this but do you accurately know the numbers your food cost your hours your overhead what you're doing for everything that you do and making sure that the chef and the people that are responsible the cooks the line cooks can have the ability to affect that and are talking about it you know equally we support complete all the greatest farmers we know in portland we're buying the most expensive products we have I just, and I'm all about that. I can't even tell you how much it is, but to do that, those chefs need to know how valuable those tomatoes are. You know, burning a batch of breadcrumbs costs something. Yeah. Like it's, it's, it's all part of being great at what you do and mastering your career that you chose. And so having them being able to talk directly to their sous chefs that could talk to their cooks to be like, man, I do understand that we burnt those chickens. That sucks. That's going to affect our food costs, just letting you know. And then so these we'll have to make seven times more than that. And just have that very, what seems like a very basic, cool conversation. And really just reassuring that if we choose this food career, that this is what we have to do. This is yeah. how we are making our livelihood. Even beyond that, I think it's your responsibility it as is. a business owner to teach your people everything mm-hmm. about the business. You're the mentor. They're the mentee. They're mm-hmm. the... Every, you should look at every one of your employees, not as an employee, not mm-hmm. as a transaction, but as an apprentice. Yeah, of totally. They're here to learn the business. And if you're not teaching your people the business, mm-hmm. not just the job, yep. do your job, but the greater picture of the business, mm-hmm. then you're doing them a, just, a disjustice. Yeah, And I think that that is, to go back to um, Switzerland and European models, it's not in a lot of the ways that you're growing up in those restaurant worlds, you're working at hundred year old restaurants that have made livelihoods for generations. Mm. They're not looking at this as like a flash in the pan or to look cool. This is a, this is a profession. This is a career that you can actually make a livelihood out of. Um, and, and, uh, you know, I, I talked to other restaurant tours that I admire, Nate and 
Andy Ricker and all these great people that I think that have done a really great job of the Gabe Rucker and these fantastic guys. And, you know, we can talk about when you walk into those restaurants, and I'm sure you've seen this, where you'll see a restaurant that is definitely funded by a big million dollar person that just doesn't give a shit that it's just like their toy. And it honestly makes me sick. Like, I don't enjoy eating at those restaurants. I like to walk into a restaurant that's genuinely operating, that the cooks are working hard, the servers are well-staffed. It's not overstaffed. It's not understaffed. Yeah. It's just a great concept with good food. It's delicious, and they have a cause. And a clear and mission, are too. And a clear mission. Yeah. And those other ones you walk into, and it's not necessarily that the, the food sucks or whatever it is. I just can't get behind it. Like, mm. I don't know what it is. And it's funny. You'll, you'll, those restaurants will come maybe in Portland or not. I never would ever say anything. But when you walk in there and you kind of like look around, you're like, wow, this is amazing but at the same time i don't know why they're doing it <laughs> yeah man shoot man i'm loving this conversation um I, I really wanted to dive into the whole uh how to get uh certified how to get your mm -hmm. usda certification because that whole process mm -hmm. and uh you know I, I did want to talk a little bit about what's broken with our food system today and mm -hmm. how how crazy it is that it, it, it is so difficult to feed people you know, sure. it's, like yeah. it shouldn't be this hard to, to create, to open a business totally. and to feed people. Um, I don't know if we have enough time to really, that's a complex, like well, detailed yeah, conversation. The, the latter is detail. How yeah. to fix the, the, the agriculture and the food system of America yeah. is a whole other podcast for sure. Right. Uh, and you're always welcome back. FYI. Anytime. Anytime. <laughs> I love talking. So, you know, yeah. let me, let me know. Yeah. Um, let's see here. Uh, how to get a USDA meat plant going is, uh, First and foremost, reach out to your local USDA head. They have them in every city, every county. Reach out to them. Tell them what you're doing and just get that conversation going. Uh, and my second piece of advice with that is to do all of your HACCP work, which is hazard animals, critical control points, like that simple, not simple, daunting language. Learn all of that. Do all you can to do it yourself because it's going to enable you to grow and be more flexible and with to have it. the conversations that you need to have totally. speaking the language the same way you, how you had to learn German exactly you know you gotta you gotta know the language totally you get into the first CFR book as being a chef and you're gonna be like what is this <laughs> jargon oh, like what, yeah. what are we talking here yeah. and, and your brain's gonna blow up but you are you give yourself time to really just learn it I mean you got a smartphone you can <laughs> google, google words, it oh man you know, it's, like, it's all it right there yeah, yeah you totally can but you know it's daunting at first but I suggest it'll be worth you know the entire world if you could speak that language of what food safety is and then really learn what you're making don't try to cut corners and don't try to you know really understand what it means to get ph and what is water activity and what are your critical control points and why is cooking and cooling and can i achieve this through my product and learning Not bad for a high school dropout man hey thanks man <laughs> <laughs> yeah my parents yeah <laughs> That a hyperactive brain yeah. definitely didn't work in a school, but if you put a knife in an animal yeah. in front of me, I could continually learn. <laughs> um, oh, gosh, and the ag system, let's see, piece of advice on agriculture. Gosh, I don't know. Well, I just kind of want to know what your thoughts are. My thoughts on and how the, the current status of the industry of mm -hmm. food production. Totally. Uh, in you know, I feel like I understand that you got to protect people. You got to make it safe. Yes. Uh, but at the same time, I feel like they almost make it unattainable. Yeah. 
Um, you know, I'm, I, I am one of those guys too, that I think we should be, be, I have been fortunate enough to work in meat plants in three continents, you know, uh, Europe, Africa, and here. Uh, and I think we should be very, very thankful for the food safety that we have in place for the USDA in America. Mm -hmm. They are doing an amazing job at making sure we are feeding this crazy machine that we built safe to millions of Americans every single day. And to do that is a daunting, daunting project. And I think what they did with HACCP and allowing small plant, you know, putting the ball in the court of the producers was a brilliant idea. And what is HACCP? I'm not really familiar. Uh, um, I'm sorry. HACCP just means hazard added. Uh, oh, God. Hazard and critical control points. It's essentially taking okay, that's right. any... I I totally any um, any one any product that you want to produce, yeah. you can essentially prove to the USDA. <laughs> I can't believe that acronym got out of my head. Well, I'm, <laughs> That's a, I'm right there with you now. Sorry, totally. keep going. Uh, you know, it's essentially uh, if you know what you're doing and you can prove it through food science and knowledge that you're producing a, a quality, safe product. The USDA is going to allow you to produce it. Meaning, prior before this, it was very prescriptive. You know, your racks had to be X off the ground. The walls had to be done like this you had to cook things like this you had to do it by the usda standard now the usda is like hey if you can prove it to us and still yes fall between you know you got to be safe of course you have to be able to batch and learn what your things are you can pretty much produce whatever you're doing so i think it's a i think it's a great thing that the usda has done i mean i i, I mean i don't know how else you would do so, that i'm also curious so like you went through this process you you called the local mm -hmm. usda supervisor <laughs> dr Barrows, yeah, yeah and, and you started asking questions and you started going through the process to figure out exactly what you would need to be safe and mm -hmm. to identify all those critical points in the the chain to like get yep. from a to b and uh -huh. and you identify like the these hazard zones right totally. uh and then you you figure out what tools and resources and technology you need to be able to do it to, to today's standards. Yep. And then you look at the bill. The, what was that the, experience? The like? bill of, uh, of crossing, I, checking all the boxes and everything you need to yeah, do. We, the did cost. That, we did that all here. It was, it was all sweat equity. Yeah. You know, we didn't pull a dollar out of our pocket to do nice. any of that. Really? You know, like, Oh yeah. We, you know, I didn't See, outsource any of my hassle planning. I didn't outsource. What about the equipment that you would need to do it? Just to I started it with a one grinder and a hand stuffer. Oh my you know, God. I did that's it awesome. Seven K, you know, and we welded everything and we were scrappy as hell and we still are, you know, like we, I, I hand cranked every piece of salami till I could afford Your my forearms must have been ripped. Ripped. They were, <laughs> we were, we were, I was, yeah, I was. Yeah, it was insane times. <laughs> Wasn't sleeping, was drinking way too much. You know, it was just it was a tough time. You know, this the this listening to the story, just start. You know, figure it out. Yeah, yeah, totally. Just start, figure it out. And yep. you don't have to be mm -hmm. what you are today. Totally. This this plant. You, you know, can't it doesn't happen overnight. It happens. employees don't happen yeah. overnight smartly. Right. <laughs> but, uh, but you were trying to make it happen overnight. Your yeah. sister kind of gave you some good advice there of uh tapping on the brakes and uh right? Uh, or maybe you weren't maybe aiming exactly for this. We back. weren't, we weren't, you know, we've, you know, we've always kept self funded. Yeah. And so that's, you know, throughout these things, you know, people yeah. will be like, Oh man, grow big. Go. That's another this. lesson right there, man. It's keep quit like laying down like channels that I want to go down because we only have so much time. <laughs> I'm sorry. No, it's, I'm just, I'm just pulling your leg, man. Yeah. This is all great stuff. Good. Um, anything else you want to talk about before we, we wrap up? We're at an hour. It goes by fast. Yeah, totally. It does. Uh, it's great. You're, you're really good at this. It's fun. <laughs> uh, what, anything you want to talk about before we, 
move to the speed round? Um, let me think. That's that. You touched on a lot of stuff about ag that I could go on for hours uh, and hours and hours, but I don't know what I would really. I guess I should just quickly talk about how Olympia provisions and what we did, uh, just quickly to to make sure we're doing it. Um, we were fortunate enough four years ago. <clears throat> Um, the, um, you should check out the Good Food Awards. I don't know if you guys know this organization out I've there. I've heard of it. They're, they're amazing. Her name is um, Sarah Wiener, and she started in San Francisco, but it's essentially the first award system in America for quality products that not only are quality that taste good, but they are responsibly made, meaning they're coming from quality sourced meats and they have a, a good impact on the environment. It kind of blows my mind that it hasn't happened before and that they're the only ones out there. Um, I think what they are doing is the greatest thing to change things in agriculture. You know, if you see a good food stamp out on a product, you can definitely rest assured that that product is made to better the world. Um, and they've done it from anything from spirits to proteins, to cheese, to vinegars, to anything. It has to, it, they have a really good, um, vetting program. Um, they fortunately reached out to us about four years ago and, you know, we took it upon ourselves to employ, actually a, a gentleman was doing his Yale's master's thesis on, um, sustainable sourcing. And we had him audit our process and we were like, Hey, please go out to Oregon and see what our impact is. How are we going to better what we're doing when we're done as we're building this machine? You know, I use 25,000 hogs a year. I'm growing at 30% annually. What does that look like? And how am I going to be able to look back at this in 20 years of hard work and be like, holy hell, not only did we create this beautiful thing, but how did I better Oregon? And I think you could do that in your process. You can always take time to like look out at the world and say, what is my true impact and how can I use my platform to better? What is your true impact? My true impact for Oregon? Yeah. Well, I, I feel like truly... Um, this is very philosophical and can go down a, a rabbit hole in a huge way. Um, I feel that proteins in America aren't an inevitable thing. We love meat. Mm -hmm. And for a very, very long time, they've been shunned. And they should be because they're mass farmed, right? They're on these huge feedlots that have septic ponds that are putting out a ton of bad shit into the environment. And I think that proteins should be used in a way to regenerate agriculture and make soil better for the world and be embraced by people to be used as Recreate a tool. Recreate that natural process. hundred percent. And that is a long, daunting, hard fight, but I can see it happening. It's happening. You know, the pigs are a beautiful way to glean waste product, put protein back, or excuse me, put uh, food back into the soil and take out invasive species. Yeah. <laughs> and beef done in the right way and eaten the proper way and rotated and managed the right way and being celebrated for what it is. Yeah. You know, we're learning so much and the exciting part, the reason why we're learning so much is our ability to share knowledge faster than ever before. Totally. So we can take what has been done and mm -hmm. share it and compound on it faster mm -hmm. than ever before. So we're just, yeah. you know, we're just growing in, uh, not outward. I'm talking mm -hmm. about like inward growth of just finding out. And a lot of it's going back in time, you know, like, oh, you totally. know, it's just like realizing that big isn't necessarily better. Scaling isn't yeah. necessarily the only way to do it. Doing it responsibly, like, yeah. you know, being aware of what is, you know, the impact is of what you are doing is a, yeah. Very, very important thing, I think. You know, uh, yeah, it's it's a fascinating time in the world. And I, and I do think, you know, where we are going right now, if we can keep the real knowledge and actually talking, because there's huge companies behind this right now that are trying to change where this is going, you know, like this small food movement. In a bad are, way or a good way? You know, I think it, I, I'm, I'm kind of torn. Like, you know, Purdue just purchased some of the largest GAP certified pork products in America. It's the largest company in the world. They're still keeping this GAP certification. Are they going to do it? 
are they going to keep it genuine? Are they going to make sure that it is helping the environment? Are they going to put there, we got to pump out a lot of protein? And so, yeah. you know, the, the knowledge that's out there in the world of like what Whole Foods and all these big corporates are doing of, you know, positioning themselves as a change agent is a good thing, but who's auditing them and who's making sure that they're doing what they are saying is kind of where I'm skeptical. No, I hear what you're saying. I think one thing that's really promising today and that's hopeful is that we are increasingly living in a transparent world where this not as easy to brush things under the totally. rug anymore. So to be successful, you have to you have to take into those into account those values mm-hmm. and doing good business, doing good businesses, doing good is good business, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, and the other really exciting thing is if something's not good, if something's bad, totally. look at straws for example. Quick, overnight, <laughs> dude. Good overnight. industry gone bad. Yeah, exactly. And there's the we when we can target something as a, a society mm-hmm. massively as being bad. The consumer determines what happens in the market. Right. Wherever the money goes, you right now. If everybody made a pact mm-hmm. to stop buying cage raised uh, chickens instantly, Tyson would buy them all up tomorrow. What's that? Tyson would buy them tomorrow. That market, and it would be a good thing. Yeah, exactly. But that market would go like you know, like instantly. Like where there's money, there's business. Totally. If you take the money away, the the bad habits will go away. Totally. Uh, and that's powerful. And it's Absolutely. just a matter of, of educating people. Oh, we I can do agree. it. And oh I, man, it's it's. Those it's are some a, of my goals to use this platform to educate people. Yeah, you're actually you know? you're, you're living what I'm talking yeah. about. I totally agree. You, you so, a, you're actually a change agent, which is an amazing well, thing. Yeah, let's let's well, thank you, thank <laughs> yeah. you so much. I appreciate you saying that, and recognizing mm-hmm. that. All right, man, this has been a, a great conversation. Oh, We're gonna take a quick break to thank our sponsors, so I can keep gas in the tank, and we'll be right back. Your job as a restaurant owner or manager is to paint a picture of the job done right and to empower your employees with the tools and knowledge they need to excel. This is why you need to check out Wisetail, a premier learning management system trusted by our industry's most recognized names. With Wisetail, quickly scale your training initiatives across all locations, empower your employees to take control of their own learning and professional growth, foster communication and engagement through their integrated training and communication tools and ensure long-term scalable success with the help of their best in-breed client experience team. They'll take you from goal setting and implementation to ongoing strategy and best practices training to make sure you maximize your ongoing investment in your training and your programs. And if you use my links, you'll get your first three months free after signing up for a year contract. Again, that's wisetail.com slash unstoppable. Or find the banner in the show notes. Finally, a simple, affordable, and legal way to share the music that best represents your brand. It's called Soundtrack Your Brand. Get access to soundtracks tailored for any business. Side note, studies have shown that playing the right music can impact your sales. Do you have questions about what that right music is? Soundtrack Your Brand can help you there too. Here's a fun fact. I'm sure a lot of you out there listening to this already have a Spotify account. Well, you can take playlists from your account and import them directly into SoundtrackYourBrand.com. And my guests are always saying on the show that their restaurants are an extension of their own personal brand. Well, so isn't your music. And now you can marry these things together legally. Unlike Spotify, YouTube, or Apple Music, Soundtrack Your Brand is licensed for business use. Skip the hassle of ASCAP and BMI because with Soundtrack Your Brand, it's already included. You can even schedule music for the whole week 
and adapt the music for each day part. Typically, this deal goes for $26.99 per month. But if you act now before the end of August, you can get this deal for $19.99 per location per month for life. Again, that's SoundtrackYourBrand.com or find the banner in the show notes. We're back. And the first question I have for you is what is your it factor? A habit, a trait, a mm. characteristic you believe most contributes to your success? Totally. Uh, lead by example and never compromise on what you're saying. So if you say you're going to be quality focused and you're going to be hardworking, you better be the biggest warrior of that. Sounds a little like integrity. Somebody would say that. Yeah. <laughs> uh, what is your biggest weakness? Uh, chasing shiny pennies. I think everybody should (laughs) stop and take time to focus on what you were doing and not always do the next new thing. Yes. I love it. Uh, what is one question you ask or thing you look for when you're growing your team? Uh, I I like to know where they see themselves in five years. What are you looking for? Um, somebody that's driven and kind of open to change you know i want has a goal has has a a goal very much so wants to know where they're going can understand doing that lined up with where you are right now (laughs) yeah exactly can i help you get there yeah exactly uh what's one big challenge you're having today uh a big challenge right now i think this is kind of um sourcing wide is finding talent Mm. you know we have we have a we we feel fortunate in some sense but it is still growing and trying to see who is going to come and work for us in the next decade you know i'm sorry to hear that you're having that challenge but this, at the same time i'm happy to hear it because there's a lot of consultants out there yeah that are like oh if you're having trouble mm-hmm. finding talent it's not because the market's bad it's because you can't attract onto yourself good people mm-hmm. and you gotta change it at home and there's some truth to that the more you do at home mm-hmm. the more you change yourself the more you'll attract onto yourself totally. better people mm-hmm. but even the best of the best of the best are having trouble finding good people right now. And when I talk to the best of the best of the best and they're saying constantly, my biggest challenge is finding people. There's Mm -hmm. a real problem in the industry. Totally. So we've been really flexible. You know, we, we, we've worked with central city concerns, second chance convicts that are just amazing human beings. They get their chance in here and we're doing everything we possibly can to like get great talent in the door. And it is happening. Uh, I just see as we're growing, you know, right now I feel very good where we're at. We get some amazing people coming in the door, but it is definitely daunting as we see yeah. at scale. Is my company sustainable to scale at the same rate that it is? I have another question for you. Okay. This is not on the the list of questions, uh-huh. but it's a question that I, I'm really curious about. I'm, I thought about asking earlier, but mm-hmm. I'm going to ask now. Uh-huh. You said as you're growing, as you're getting bigger, how mm-hmm. big is too big for you? As long as I can uh, provide... It's a, a tough question. Good livelihood to the people that are in here, and I am having a good impact on the world and the environment. I don't think I can get too big. But if I get to the point where I have to compromise on any of that, if I see myself scaling out of control and compromising on our core what, did values. You, did you create checks and balances to? prevent yourself from losing sight of those things? Uh, I think we have, you know, and a lot of that had to do with being transparent with my employees. You know, we created our core values here. It wasn't me being a dictator. Initially Mm -hmm. it was, it was Michelle and I being like, these are what our strives things are. We came up with seven and, uh, they, and you know, we kind of looked at them and yeah, they were a lot, but we didn't feel like we took like the team that built this and have their input. And from that, you know, we, we came up with our, you know, our core values and made sure that if we ever go outside of that, (laughs) Is, yeah. Are we doing it? And please be vocal about it and tell us. So I, I'm using it as like as team, and a I, whole group of people here that can st- stand up and say that we're changing. And I love that you use the quality of life of your employees. Totally. If that quality of life degrades, 
What does what does that look like? What would be an example of that quality of life not being what it was when you started? You know, gosh, if we got if we took on an investor that was money hungry and made us like compromise and overwork, not necessarily overwork people, but be more just crappy. Yeah, you, know? you got to be conscious that you're being respectable to everybody that works for you, or you know, who are my partners? Yeah, you know, like am I partnering with the right people to grow this brand, i.e., customers and i.e., suppliers and producers? Mm. You know what I mean? Thanks for getting into that and getting personal. I appreciate of course. it. Yeah. Uh, so the next question is share one code of conduct, or this is not necessarily a question, but I'm asking you to do something. Share one code of conduct or behavior uh-huh. you teach your team. This is a way totally. to be uh, or a way to act. We touched, we talked on this earlier. If you're ever losing your temper, uh, you're not doing it right. Uh, I love it. Yeah. Uh, what is one uncommon standard of service you teach your team members? So this is something that's standard within the four walls of your restaurants, Restaurant. but not standard within the industry. Uh, I would say the breadth of knowledge that we have on our personal products, you know, and it's very unique to Olympia provisions that we have a meat company that produces 75 different products and to understand like the origin of rich, you know, the origin of these products, what their history is, where it's based upon when they're getting a charcuterie platter in Olympia provisions, they should understand why our products better and, or is delicious, excuse me. And you know, where it came from the idea. Beautiful. What is one book that is a must read to make us a better person oh, or a restaurant operator? God, it was a restaurant operators. That doesn't have to be a restaurant book. It could be uh, any book that okay, you uh, drew a value from. I know Jess always makes everybody read setting the table by Danny Meyer, but I'm sure everybody says that because that book is unbelievable. It's a great book and <laughs> it is by far the most recommended. Book oh, cool. And then I would have to say the machine that changed the world, the machine that changed the world. I think that popped up once before. Oh, it sounds amazing. Book, but yeah. what, it, what, was your biggest lesson what was the the premise of the book oh i think that it took a a chain of the most brilliant people to digest in or excuse me to dive into um manufacturing of automobiles to see how production and manufacturing works on a scale and giving um uh uh giving life to why we process and also there's another amazing book out there called why we work it's a ted talk book it's tiny 60 pages and it gives you purpose of why people like work that's books. an amazing like book why we something. work is or also <laughs> just yeah both all three of those books and if you guys are not listening to audiobooks it will change your life. It changed my totally. life. Uh, head over to audibletrial.com slash unstoppable. It's perfect for busy restaurant people who don't have the time to sit Dude, down. You got to do that shit on the go. And podcasts, of course. Exactly. Listen to this one and yeah, share yeah. with all your friends. Yeah. <laughs> share an online resource or a tool. An online recess or tool that we use. Gosh. It could be like a an online magazine, a place where you go to get industry news. God, what is that like one? Uh, Today on what's happening in the... You know what I would say, I, you know, if, if you're a bigger company that is out there, I would suggest that if you have multiple locations using a tool called uh, 15.5, I don't know if you're out there, it takes your managers 15 minutes once a week to de- tell you your biggest problems and you can kind of change your questions. You know, you can ask them like, what are their hurdles? What are their accomplishments? What are your goals? How can I help you? It takes them 15 minutes and it should only take you about five minutes to respond. But that tool is definitely for a company that has multiple locations and a lot of moving parts and of What's the purpose of that tool? Just to increase communication? Increase communications. Quickly? Increase communications and make sure that you're just touching base with all your people every single day. First time mentioned on the show, and I'm excited for that one. (laughs) 15.5. I'm going to check that out. There's a ton of those out there that are awesome. Oh, man, I love it. Uh, Okay, so what is one piece of technology you've adopted in your restaurant and that how has it influenced uh, operations uh, or profitability or communication? So yeah. something, something like 
fifteen five, but maybe something within your four walls, right? Like, like a POS, like a POS system. or reservation totally. or some type of uh, tool you're leveraging. Uh, let's think. Uh, God, you have to say. Make sure you're getting a POS system that can work quickly with getting accurate numbers to you. And if you have an accountant, make sure they're utilizing and communicating it through that. I'm sure everybody says that, but good restaurateurs should use that like a, as important as a scrubber. So the purpose of this question is to get recommendations, mm-hmm. like a actual thing that if I'm opening a restaurant yeah. right now, God, what is it? This is the POS I'm going to get because I've heard it so many times in restaurants. Oh man, and and you know that'd be interesting. You'd have to ask Jess or Nate that question because at all of the seven locations, we have four different operating ones, and they all have their pros and cons. And I don't, I'd feel like I'd be stepping out of place to be right. You know, that's cool, <laughs> and that's the cool thing about your, the position you're in. You have people that are in that lane, and the good news is I'm talking to all of them, so I will go deeper when that time comes. <laughs> exactly. Ask Nate; he'll have a yeah. he'll have a, he'll have fifty good ones. Use right. me for the other stuff. <laughs> all right, here's the last question. It's a doozy. Get ready for it. Okay. If you got the news, you'd be leaving this world uh-huh. tomorrow. Not yep. necessarily dying. You could be getting abducted or going to meet alien friends and there's a better world you want to go check it mm, out. Okay. But you can never come back. Ooh, I love this question. Right? I can never come you back. You can never come back. You're leaving Man. this world tomorrow. All the memories of you, your work, and your restaurants are gone with your departure. Uh-huh. With the exception of three pieces of wisdom or three things you know to be true about this world we live in that uh-huh. you leave behind okay. for your legacy and for the good of humanity, what would it be? Whoo, Jesus Christ. I can leave three separate things. It's <laughs> a tough question. Um, I like to always tell people to remember that the biggest thing that you're doing is giving them a moment of pause to enjoy something in our world. You know, I like that, that we create these little products that no matter how hectic people's lives are being, that like that's literally when I strip down everything I do, there's somebody in North Dakota or Iowa that's having a stick of salami that's just probably maybe trying to fill the void and they're getting that moment of, holy hell, life's going to be okay. There's one. Uh, uh, you know. Be grateful for everything you do, you know, obviously be respectful, you know, everything you have, be thankful, take those moments of pause to reflect upon what you created. Be and, grateful, be thankful. That's, that's uh, uh, one and two, or we got one, that was two. Uh, nothing should be given to you. Everything takes hard work, no matter what you're saying. Beautiful, man. I have loved <laughs> oh, this good. conversation. So, wow, this has been tons of fun. Yeah, man. Thank you so much for taking the time to share your story, your knowledge, oh, your mentorship. You. I've loved it. Uh, we wrap up every conversation by calling somebody out. You already recommended a bunch of people before the recording, but uh-huh. who's one person you admire and believe would make a great guest mentor like you've made for us today? Can I say or multiple? Can I say Nate Tilden again? Yeah, you can. That's <laughs> Nate, fine. Uh, Nate Tilden. Who else do I? Uh, I think he's amazing um, in the food world, like restaurant tours specifically. Or can I do a producer? Uh, you know, that's a good question. David Grimmels, I think, for Rogue is a as a producer, uh, an amazing human being, and quite the character. Did he start? I mean, yeah. I'll just edit what I just said out. <laughs> what about Michelle? Did you want to make sure you mentioned your sister? 100% Michelle Cairo. You Start should. over. Uh, okay. Uh, Michelle Cairo, yeah. my sister, and the CEO, financial brain behind this whole thing could be a, <laughs> a, a, a breadth of knowledge that could help everybody out there. Yeah. She's just amazing, and she has that CEO mind that I think a lot of restaurateurs could benefit from. Nate Tilden, he is the blinding force behind passion and why you do these things and build these crazy breadth of work that we do. It's called Restaurant and Restaurant World. And then I still think David Grimble's of Rogue Cheese, like his approach to making the world a better place through his product is very inspiring to me. Beautiful. And uh, I want to just, before we say goodbye, I want to thank Mike 
uh, I'm going to say your last name wrong, dude. Mike L. I'm not even going to try to say your last name because I can't think of what it looks like in my head right now. <laughs> but he's the proprietor of he's the proprietor of Old Country Meats uh, for putting you on my radar That's and awesome. recommending you that I get you on the show. Ooh, and I'm listening to you guys. So if there's anybody out there that is in your community that's crushing it, that needs to be made an example of, please put them on my radar. I will get them on the show. And that's all for today, man. Uh, Just again, thank you. Actually, I almost forgot. Let the folks at home know uh, how can we connect if we want to follow your story, follow what you're doing on social media, maybe come join your team. Uh, Info at olympiaprovisions.com is the way to get your resume in front of us. We'd love seeing anybody who'd like to. Um, I am at Elias Cairo on Instagram and Elias Cairo on Facebook. And at Olympia Provisions is our company Insta. Yeah, and this is episode, uh, I'm not sure what episode number is going to be, but if you head over to restaurantunstoppable.com slash Elias Cairo, that's E-L-I-A-S-C-A-I-R-O, you will find a link to all the books, tools, resources mentioned in the summary of today's discussion all over there. And again, thank you so much for taking the time to join us to share your story. There is no questioning. You are unstoppable. Oh, thank you. <laughs> Thanks so much for having me. It's been a great time. My pleasure. Cheers. Cheers. There's another episode wrapped up here at Restaurant Unstoppable. Elias Cairo, man, what a great honor it was making an example of you in your work ethic, in your values, and just getting out there and making things happen in your life. Things won't just happen. You got to make them happen. And Elias, man, you are a shining example of that. So beautiful stuff today. Uh, Other lessons that really stood out today, just... I think just being mindful of the energy you put out and the, being intentional about the work you do. And if you're not happy, then you're, you're, you're doing something wrong. Uh, and I think, you know, we say this all the time and a lot of people think that it's not realistic, but I come across people who are doing really well and couldn't be happier. So you gotta, you gotta question whether it is realistic and it is attainable to to live a happy life and to to create this path that is of your design and you can do it but it happens when you live intentionally you got to start showing up every day uh choosing your path trying new things and just waiting and getting new experiences and new experiences until that thing comes across until, until you find that thing that lights you up when you find that thing lean into it and uh, look for opportunities, and that's exactly what Elias did. Great stuff today. All right, guys, like always, please do reach out to me, Eric, at restaurantunstoppable.com, Instagram, Twitter, Eric Cacciatore, Facebook slash Restaurant Unstoppable, and uh, let me know who you want to hear from. Tell me who you admire. Tell me who you think I should make an example of. I'm always looking for the next guest mentor. Also, uh, I need your help. How do I need your help? I need help spreading the word about this podcast. The mission of this podcast is to inspire, to empower, and to transform the restaurant industry. How do you transform an industry? By transforming its people. How do you transform somebody? By giving them ideals, visions, values, knowledge, sharing all these things. Uh, and that that comes from within, that we need to make this happen. If we're going to change the industry for the better, if we're going to 
to give small business a chance, we need to help each other out. So please share this resource with everyone and anyone you know. Uh, that's the ultimate compliment. And just thank you in advance if you are getting out there and uh, creating awareness about this resource. All right, guys, that's all for today. Thank you so much for sticking around this long. I love you all. And until next time, peace out.